Our Future Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. Black and brown kids can't breathe because of pollution, the system of oppression. Black adults can't breathe because of the system of policing. Hi, I'm Natalie Mebane. I'm Jonah Gottlieb, and we're the co-founders of the National Children's Campaign. Welcome to Our Future Now. On this episode, we discuss environmental racism and why we must continue to mobilize, organize, and march for liberation. This week, we're joined by two youth activists who are leading the March Against Environmental Racism in New York City on September 25th. Kaylee Sherry is the People of Color Coordinator for Extinction Rebellion Youth in New York City and a junior at Columbia Secondary School in Manhattan. Aisha Sadika is the co-founder of Polluters Out and Fossil Free University and a senior at Hunter College. Aisha, Kaylee, thank you so much for joining us and for helping lead this movement. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Both for Aisha and Kaylee, knowing what's going on in this country, why are you all organizing a march on September 25th in New York City? Um, There's one quote by Martin Luther King that has just been running through my mind. And he said, there comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into an abyss of injustice where they experience the bleakness of corroderating despair. And this particular sentence is one that has rung true for the past 100 plus days where my friends, myself, we've been organizing and protesting. So the March Against Environmental Racism was not only like um, expected, it has to be. This is the time for us, for youth to organize for this very particular matter because it's long overdue. This is the new civil rights movement for us at this moment. And it's our duty to participate. The youth are speaking up now. And I think we need to hold adults accountable. And I think this is the reason why we're planning this march. It's not just a thing where, you know, youth are just speaking their mind about something that they have know nothing about. We have friends who have been at the front hand of injustice from police and from law enforcement. And we're speaking up now, not just on behalf of ourselves, but behalf of our friends' narratives and behalf of the narrative of teens in New York City in general. This is not a one-time thing that happens. This is something that happens sometimes even on a daily basis nationally. And this is why we need to address it within our small space within New York City. I think that that's really important what you're highlighting here and you know so much of what's happening in the planning with this march is putting an emphasis on justice and fighting for black lives but specifically with the march that you both are planning on september 25th you're focusing on environmental justice so how does this march differ from some of the large climate strikes that we've seen in the past few years when the protests that were being organized for environmental justice um were being put together the audience The people who it was um, approaching was white. The audience that it was appealing to was white. And that's why you've seen so much commercialization of, you know, the white child's future, the white child's innocence, and the um, platform that it's built. And the very present and 
stolen future from black youth in this country, from brown youth in this country, from indigenous youth in this country. And that's why like a march that we unequivocally stand against environmental racism um, is something that all youth organizers and climate justice organizers need to get behind is because environmental racism is as much as capitalism's fault and the white man's fault as is the climate crisis in general. They go hand in hand. They're not separate or singular. Yeah, and I think going back to the question as well, like why is this march going to be different? Why is this action going to be different? And um, a TED talk that I really like by um, the author Adichie is that she talks about the idea of the single story. And I think we've heard multiple times in just the climate movements of, you know, white teens talking about the injustice of black and brown youth, of um, black individuals, of Hispanic individuals, of individuals who are people of color. And the single story that we are the victims and we're the ones facing all this injustice and we need, you know, the white youth to speak up for us. But in reality, this is a different story that we want to speak up for ourselves as well. And realizing that the narrative that a lot of white youth climate organizers have been kind of proposing and perpetuating isn't the true story that we have our own lives and we do have our own voices and we are going to take this march to speak up, not just for our brothers and sisters, but for ourselves as well. And making sure that when we are communicating this narrative, we're communicating our own narrative as well. We're all marching for and talking about environmental racism and injustice. That is not just something that white climate organizers can do or only adult white cli climate organizers can do, but people of color who are youth can also talk about environmental justice and speak up and educate other people about it as well within New York City and on a national scale as well. I think environmental racism, environmental justice needs to be the center of what people are fighting against because it is the intersection. It's the intersection of what caused the climate crisis and it's also the intersection of the solution. And so just to give a quick background on what is environmental justice. So for those listening, if they're like, what is exactly the meaning of it? There's actually a government definition of it, which is environmental justice is the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. Fair treatment means that no population bears a disproportionate share of negative environmental consequences resulting from industrial, municipal, and commercial operations or from the execution of federal, state, and local laws, regulations, and policies. So I want to read the textbook definition of what it is because we all know that that is simply not the case in this country, in this world. And if we look at the, the definition of environmental racism, environmental racism refers to the way in which minority groups, neighborhoods, populated primarily by people of color and members of low socioeconomic groups are burdened with a disproportionate number of hazards, including toxic waste facilities, garbage dumps, and other sources of environmental pollution and foul odors that lower quality of life. So AOC was interviewed about the Green New Deal and what this means and why it's so important. And people were saying, oh, it's an elitist issue. As this the environment and caring for your own health 
is an elitist issue. And she said, it's not an elitist issue. It's a quality of life issue. And she says, tell that to the kids in the South Bronx who are suffering from the highest rates of childhood asthma in this country and tell them that, you know, all lives matter when they know themselves, they are having a shorter life expectancy higher rates of disease because of the industry that has been has been concentrated in their community. That's why the words I can't breathe resonate with not just environmental, sorry, not just social justice advocates, but environmental justice advocates too, because they transcend both sort of niches. Black and brown kids can't breathe because of pollution, the system of oppression. Black adults can't breathe because of the system of policing. Everywhere you look, there's something stopping you from living your life. And by life, I mean the very biological definition to consume energy and, you know, function. And even that is being stopped in this country. From top down, the leaders of this movement are Black, Brown, and Indigenous youth. Um, Those who can say, I've experienced this, I am in this fight for multiple reasons, not people who are leeching off the struggles and the fights of Black and brown people, because oftentimes you see it, especially in the topical events that's happening now, people have gained fame, gained notice and gained, you know, attention for talking about the issues that affect us, you know, that they've built their plans platforms over issues that harm and affect us. And isn't that the most ironic thing? Who would they be if it weren't for the pain and the suffering of Black trauma, of Brown trauma, still have to fight to be at the, not not the just centered, but to be listened to. And that's not longer happening. We're not asking the police for permission to educate. At the same time, we're not asking for people who were supposed to be fighters for justice to fight for justice on our behalf. Like many of the marches that the people on this podcast have been involved with in organizing in the past, this march on September 25th has a fantastic list of demands. So Kaylee, what are some of them that you can list off for us now and really get us in the mindset, get our listeners in the mindset of exactly what people are taking to the streets to fight for? So in terms of what is this going to look like, kind of taking action to combat racism in the climate movement, as well as acknowledging that you can't be pro-police and pro-climate justice. Number two, create a space within the climate movement for effective Black, Indigenous, and people of color at the forefront of leadership which always speaks louder than just BIPOC representation or representation for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Number three, there needs to be a shift in funding to Black, Indigenous, and people of color-led organizations, especially those comprised of youth. This applies to not just only the climate movement, but in the case of philanthropy, charity, and just even Black, Indigenous, people of color-led orgs and businesses as well. Number four, Reparations for Indigenous people and descendants of African enslaved people, as well as international climate reparations for those who have been economically disenfranchised by the effects of colonialism and are therefore unable to afford mitigation. Number five, 
increased climate education that is representative of the disproportionate impacts of the climate crisis on Black, Indigenous, people of color. This means that the Department of Education needs to include topics of gentrification, redlining, segregation in New York City public schools, because the issues that affect our youth and our children must be incorporated in our curriculums. Number six, acknowledge and listen to the wisdom that Indigenous people have about the environment. I think many people don't even realize that America is on stolen lands and people have been cultivating this land way before we even got here. Number seven, no more whitewashing in the climate media. Center Black, Indigenous, and people of color voices and stories within the media. That includes myself, that includes Aisha, and that includes many of our brothers and sisters who have been fighting at the forefront of this climate movement for many years and are not getting the same representation that our white brothers and sisters have. There's this part missing that shows you what is this marching really about? What brought you into this work? What made you want to even start doing this? I went to my first climate organizing action. Um, and in that space, I was one of only two girls in that entire climate organizing space. And with that, I saw that there was a problem with that. And I wanted to make sure that I can move other people in this climate organizing space where they can feel represented, feel heard, and actually felt like their lives matter. Um, so this is how I got involved in the general climate organizing scene. Um, seeing that there's a lack of um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color representation in general, and then realizing that there are strong leaders within many white-led organizations that are also just as fed up about this lack of representation as I am, including other org leaders as well. So I think that's really what compelled me to the climate organizing scene and really getting involved with this march is allowing my voice to be heard and my voice to actually matter and allowing my brothers and sisters to also to share their stories as well. And Aisha, for you, you know, you're entering your senior year right now, starting up in college, right? Your senior year. And you've been doing this work for a few years now. What made you want to start? I know you're the co-founder of Polluters Out, which is an international youth climate coalition, but also what made you want to build this coalition to plan this march in New York City? Honestly, um, I felt so absolutely alone in the organizing space that when I looked to my left and when I looked to my right, I didn't see anybody who looked like me, anybody who had the same class issues as me, anybody who was there because their home could be taken away in the blink of an eye if a natural disaster came um, in the organizing space. Last year, I was one of the only people of color and I'm and I don't have that much melanin to begin with in the organizing um, and the the main coordinating space, which I thought was just a moral uh, dilemma in itself that that should not have been the case. So what I did was I knew that uh, international youth were organizing on September 25th. I knew that in New York, Fridays for Future would also organize, but it was time to take matters into our own hands. And I reached out to my friends and people who I had, you know, formed friend, um, camaraderie with, people who I trusted, people who had been on the ground. Many of the organizers, um, you guys may not know this, and this is just knowledge, they have been at the BLM protests. They have been on the front lines um, and they've been doing the work already. 
And this is something that is coming not only from their hearts, it's coming from sense of moral duty. My relation to the climate movement is both a completion of my own personal story, somebody who lives on a coastal community, somebody who lives in Coney Island. It's also my background. Um, my family lives in a country that is going to be mostly inhabitable by 2030 because of the temperature rising. At the same time, my friends who are in college are at the verge of homelessness because of coronavirus and their inability to get work. And the places that they're finding homes in are coastal communities that are subjected to climate um, disasters. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't do anything about it, if I didn't speak up against it. So Kaylee and Aisha, what are ways that people can get involved with this march on September 25th? How can they find out the details when they're announced? How can they learn about the teach-ins and the subjects that are going to be covered? How can they get in touch with you all if they want to participate and really join in this coalition and really pushing for accountability and highlighting environmental racism? Yeah, I think the best way to get involved, number one, is on your own, just doing some research and educating yourself about environmental racism. I think that is one of the biggest ways that you can do some self-education. But in terms of this action that we are planning, we do have an Act Blue, um, which is secure.actblue.com slash donate slash M-A-E-R. Um, sorry, it's a little bit of a long URL, but that is kind of our space that we're using to collect funds because planning a march isn't easy and we do need to make sure that we are cognizant of the fact that COVID-19 is still on the rise and so we can get PPE supplies, get um, bike medics, get people on the ground to make sure that this is the most effective and safe march there is led by Black, Indigenous and people of color hopefully of the year or even of the century. Um, we also have our Instagram account, which we're going to make sure that we filter any updates regarding topics of the teach-ins, where the teach-in locations are going to be, and ways that you can um, best support us through the efforts of this action. So everyone listening at home, please be sure to donate if you can. All the links that have been mentioned on today's episode will be in the show description. So be sure to check those out and be sure to, as Kaylee said, follow at the youth NYC on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to get all the updates on the March and teachings. Kaylee, Aisha, thank you so much for joining us this week and for all your work. Is there any final thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with? Um, well, thank you for having us. And I think a final thought would be realizing that Black, Indigenous, and people of color are not bodies, we're voices. And that if you want to make sure that we are included in the movements, allow us to not just be included physically, but also vocally. Thank you for having us. Um, my few parting words are on an environmentally just planet, Black Lives Matter, Indigenous and brown, life is precious. And we as a country need to not only acknowledge that, we need to start practicing it because it is 400 years overdue. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Future Now. 
This week, we're starting something new. At the end of each episode, we're spotlighting a person changing the world who we think you should know about. This week, we're highlighting Jessica Skarain, Democrat running for U.S. Senate in Delaware. She's fighting for racial justice, Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, housing rights, and more. You can learn more about her by visiting her website at jessfordelaware.com. Our feature now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. We would like to give a special thanks to our media partners, Parentology. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform and share this episode with your family and friends on social media. I'm Natalie Mebane. And I'm Jonah Gottlieb. And this is Our Future Now. <laughs>